God is our refuge, excuse me, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed and the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes wars to cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And Father, we ask now for the help of your Holy Spirit as we continue in our worship. That Lord, you would do all that is necessary to help us to be able to experience your best in the midst of this time of worship. And that we might most clearly hear what you are saying to us through the word of God by the voice of your Holy Spirit speaking to us. Lord, we pray that you would take away all the hindrances and things that would stand in the way within us and among us, and that you would speak clearly and directly to our hearts through the power of your Spirit's voice through the word of God. And we thank you for this in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, when our world is in catastrophic upheaval and the things like things are kind of unraveling and maybe things appear as if in some ways they're threatening our welfare and indeed they look very scary. It's in times like that that perhaps we should ask, is there genuinely any place of rest and security? Is it actually possible to find somewhere that it's truly safe? Somewhere where we can be assured and some way that we can know that ultimately everything is going to be okay. That in the end it will be okay. As conditions kind of feel chaotic and quite uncertain, is there anything that's immovable? Is there actually something that is certain? Something that is stable? something fully reliable that can uphold me, a place of rest, we might say, amidst the storm, somewhere where we can find a measure of peace. Is there anything sure to help calm the anxieties that are raging and mulling around in the hearts and minds of so many people? Well, this psalm thankfully gives to us perspective, Psalm 46 helps bring perspective, and I also think maintain perspective whenever life seems to be unraveling, whenever things are falling apart at the seams, and it seems like everything is out of control, or maybe even at its absolute worst, whether in the world globally or just in our personal world from time to time, if we're experiencing our own upheaval or crisis or tragedy as we do at times, certain things God wants us to realize that despite the chaos in the midst of circumstances, we can find rest for our souls in him. 
Despite the times when the waters are stormy, God intends for us to fully rely upon him. And this psalm, no doubt, was inspired by the Spirit of God to give to us that perspective, to help us maintain that perspective when we go through difficult and challenging times. The backdrop, many believe, to the writing of Psalm 46 is that it was in response to the cruel Assyrian Empire that was rapidly conquering the known world in that day. In barbaric cruelty, the Assyrians were entering into one territory after another and devastating society after society and bringing great devastation. And when they came into a region, it was like a wrecking ball. As they went from one region to the next, it was devastation upon devastation. And now they had come to the doorstep of Jerusalem itself. Now they were encroaching upon the lives of God's people in the city of Jerusalem, laying siege outside the city and considering all the suffering and devastation they had brought to elsewhere in the world. It was indeed a severe, threatening experience to now know that this enemy was upon their doorstep as well. It had caused such destruction elsewhere, and now that destruction and that intimidation was actually right at the doorstep and having impacts upon the people of God there in Jerusalem as well. This brutal enemy was causing struggle to the people of God. It was making them face their own fears and difficulties, and fear to some degree was paralyzing the people in the city of Jerusalem and in the area of the nation of Judah. Yet the psalmist in the midst of that is inspired to kind of bring forth a word from the Lord, which we get here in Psalm 46, to encourage the people amidst the chaos, amidst the honest devastation that was happening and indeed could happen in the midst of the people of God as well. The psalmist here, knowing their genuine hardships and their struggle with fear of what's coming, speaks a word of encouragement to them from the heart of God to the lives of his people. And I think it's a very fitting psalm to take note of, to become familiar with, to let it kind of be a good friend to us in our life whenever we face our struggles, the times of crisis in our life, a situation where maybe we're dealing with a tragedy or a hardship. Maybe we feel overwhelmed or fearful of what's ahead. This psalm brings great perspective. And even more currently, as we are facing the situation we are with the COVID-19 virus right now, which is a pandemic, has honestly swept, in some ways, you might say, most of the the known world. In the same way as the Assyrians were crushing location after location as they went around with barbaric cruelty, this virus is moving from region to region around most of the known world, having its degree of impact, and it has clearly now come to our country as well, and to one further degree where we are a local church, it obviously is somewhat having a very strong impact right in our own region here, in the New York, New Jersey region, it is having a strong impact, and many are struggling in various ways. Certainly with their health and those types of struggles, people are struggling economically. There are struggles keeping up with taking care of people and workers being overwhelmed to just try and keep their head above water to address this situation. And then, of course, just the struggle with the fear and the 
panic and anxiety it's bringing to many people and the struggles with isolation that many are having to now kind of navigate as we're somewhat more isolated in our homes. And fear and anxiety is weighing upon people and it is driving people to function under the compulsion of all the unknowns and the fears and things that are pressing upon them. And as a result, I think we need the message of Psalm 46 in our lives today as well. And the first thing that God wants us to do, as we take note of in verses 1 through 3 here, is first of all, God wants us to realize who he is, even as we face the reality that the situation is bad. He wants to realize who he is, even though the situation may be bad. Look with us in verse 1 through 3 as we take note of it once again. It says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear even though, he says, the earth be removed, the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea, and though its waters roar and be troubled, though its mountains shake with its swelling. So notice, if you would, the language there the psalmist uses to describe in verses 2 and 3 regarding the horrible conditions. That's what he's trying to picture there. He pictures sudden events happening that are extremely unordinary, situations that are very unusual, that have in some ways perhaps never happened before, that people weren't familiar with. Quite quickly, catastrophic events he describes in verses 2 and 3 are unfolding upon the earth. It seems that life is at its worst. He speaks there in our verses, notice, of the earth being removed, he says there in verse 2 and 3. The earth being removed. The word earth there implies literally the land itself, or we might say the very ground beneath your feet. That very stable thing that we typically walk upon and rely upon, he says, the very ground beneath our feet being removed. The Hebrew there literally means to be quickly changed or disrupted. The idea is to be taken out from under you. So he's kind of drawing an analogy here where he's saying, uh, in this world, as we live through life, certain things, we know things are going to change from time to time. We all understand that. But there are also certain situations as well as certain things in this present life that we almost kind of take for granted are always going to be certain. And I would say one of them is the the ground beneath our feet. (laughs) We kind of assume every day the ground beneath our feet is it's going to be there. It's stable. It's reliable. And he's describing here these things that we rest upon and rely upon the ground beneath our feet or great mountain ranges that are so big and majestic. These things that we think are so stable, they're reliable, they're immovable. These are just certain things that will always be in place. Those very things now have kind of been taken out from underneath of us. The very foundations of things that we trusted in and relied upon There's tremendous instability, earth-shattering things. The ground beneath our feet has been taken out from under us, and those things that once were so reliable and stable are now very uncertain. They've been kind of turned upside down. Very quickly, things have gone somewhat out of control. That's the image that he's picturing here in these verses. And understandably, that would cause people panic and worry. People would begin to scramble, and all of a sudden, they're trying to figure out what to do. There's a sense of total uncertainty, because when the ground beneath your feet is being taken out from under you, and mountain ranges are disappearing and moving into the midst of the sea, 
people are realizing among mankind, there would be no way that humanity could control that. You're not going to put forth your hand and stop a mountain from moving in the midst of the sea. Mankind would be realizing these things are happening with a force that they have no power or ability to actually control themselves. It's somewhat outside of the control of mankind to stop. Humanity can't really do anything to stop what's unfolding. He pictures well there of the waters of the seas all being troubled and stirred up. And it's interesting, in the Bible, many times the seas are used in a symbolic way to speak of the nations. And that's very interesting to think about because the picture represents somewhat like stormy seas, all of the nations of the earth are all churned up and troubled. The nations are in turmoil. All the nations of the earth, in light of what's happening, appear to be reeling and trying to get their bearings once again. And such a situation, as I said, would be quite overwhelming. It would feel somewhat unbearable to handle. And the natural response to those kind of catastrophic events described in verse 2 and 3 there would be to cause people to feel great anxiety. It would cause people to be terrified to a degree and worried of what is coming as they feel powerless, as the ground beneath them is being taken out from under them. And it is hard to watch things that you never thought possible now happening. And more than that, things that you never thought possible now happening to you. Unthinkable events. That's what he's describing in verse 2 and 3. Things that you just never thought were even possible, but now they're actually happening. Unthinkable things are happening and happening quite quickly, and it produces concerns of how to survive through such, what can be done, and how would we get through such a hardship, and uh, you know what's going to ultimately happen to us. And in the midst of those troublesome times that cannot be changed, the psalmist here says, look, in the midst of what we cannot change when the chaotic events are happening, we must realize there is something that can be relied upon that, that can always be assured in our life, and that is we must realize things about who God is in the midst of the chaos. You notice in verse 1, he said, God, in the midst of these things, God is our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble. So notice he identifies here that these things are happening in light of times where he says it very directly, where people, verse 1, are in trouble. If the ground beneath you is being removed, you're in trouble. If mountains are being tossed into the sea, you're in trouble. And he says, look, it's important to realize there are going to be times in humanity and throughout history where people will be in trouble, where there will be troublesome times. There have been before and there are right now, and there will be in times of head. The word trouble there literally speaks of being in a tight and a crushing spot where you feel trapped in the situation. And he says, this is the time period where we must reflect upon things about God, where we find ourselves trapped and stuck, enduring hard problems and troublesome situations. It is so important to realize for all of us that problems hardships, at times even tragedy and crisis, are simply a part of navigating the journey on this earth. That this life is not always going to be easy. It is not always going to be carefree. 
We will all to some degree always go through troubled waters on occasion. We will face our own storms collectively on large scales as well as in our personal lives or our families. There will be seasons of trouble in this life. It's so important to grasp that and to realize that reality. Trouble, difficulty, hardship is a part of this life. It's a part of what we go through as human beings, and we're going to have to endure through that to various degrees and at different seasons, both in our personal lives as well as on larger scales. You know, even apart from this situation with the virus or maybe in combination with the situation with the virus, perhaps right now you are really going through a troublesome time in your life. Obviously, as a nation, we are going through this pandemic and collectively we're enduring trouble, trouble with the virus itself, how to stop and slow the spread to the best of our ability of this virus and its impact, how to collectively do the best we can to help take care of people that are infected by the virus and to maintain what it takes to supply the medical workers. And and this is a difficult thing that we're trying to figure out, working together, everybody trying to do their best. I don't think these are times where we should be critiquing and criticizing people. I think these are times where everybody should be appreciating what those who are doing are doing and being thankful and to some degree praying for those trying to lead this process realizing that it is challenging and overwhelming, and rather than critiquing people, praying for people, and being thankful for those who are risking their lives and serving in the ways they are, we're going through great economic trouble. That's an obvious thing that's causing everyone to some degree, I think, is being impacted by this, and people realize that, and these are indeed troublesome times economically. There may be economic troubles for many people going forward as the result of the impact of these things. And of course, then there's just the trouble of the fear and the anxieties people are feeling, the depression of being alone for extended period of time, the the worry of the uncertainty of future. These are other things that are causing trouble. And let me say this morning, to be concerned is normal. That's okay. To be concerned is normal, but we don't need to be consumed with fearful panic. That's what God does not want us to experience, and the reason is because we can know, and Psalm 46 reminds us of that, we can know certain things are assured and guaranteed, and it is the things that we know about who God is and what God will do for us. And that's what the psalmist is wanting to remind us of. He tells us in verse 1, in the midst of the trouble, this is what you can know, first of all, verse 1, that God is our refuge. God is our refuge. The word refuge, of course, speaks of a place of safety to be protected from shelter amidst the effects of a storm. A refuge is a place to be shielded from harm and impending trouble, somewhere that we can enter into to find a sense of security, to find peace, to find preservation amidst the threat and the dangers and hardships that are going on. And this is what God is for us. God is our refuge, the Bible says. He is that place where we can find refuge from the storm, where we can find safety 
from the dangerous things that are threatening our lives. He is our protector. He is the one who can keep us at peace when the storm is raging around us. We can trust, listen, that God will take care of us. Does it mean the storm stops when you enter into a shelter or refuge? No, the storm may still be raging, but the refuge takes care of you in the midst of the storm. And God is going to take care of us. How he will do it, he's marvelous in his wisdom and he's not limited in his ways. But despite the danger of the storm and the trouble outside, when we are fearful and overwhelmed, we can be assured God will take care of us. He is our refuge and he will take care of us however it is necessary. And there is safety and peace to be found in a relationship with him. By going to him as our refuge, there is peace in the midst of the storm. He can calm our heart and mind. It's almost as if God is saying, listen, I know the storm is raging, but come to me. Come and find your shelter in me. Let me be your refuge and give you the peace and the calm that you need to know that I will take care of you. you know, I'm reminded of Jesus' words, John 14. I quoted and read these verses. I think I believe the last week we were together as a congregation here earlier in March where Jesus says this. He says, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Notice Jesus says, there's something I want to give to you. And he said that at a time when the disciples' hearts were genuinely troubled about some things that were going on. And he said, in the midst of your troubles, my peace I give to you. The peace of Jesus he wants to give to us. Now, many of us enjoy reading the gospel accounts. I encourage you, take notice as you read the gospel accounts, Jesus never seemed to be freaked out. Jesus would be in the midst of storms and all the disciples and their humanity would be terrified and overwhelmed, rightly so, because the storms were overwhelming them, looking like they were going to shipwreck them and drown them and destroy their lives. But Jesus was always at peace. He was always with them in the midst of the storm and he always was at peace no matter how bad the storm was. And Jesus says, that's the peace, my peace, I want to give to you. I want to give you my peace, and we can experience that from the Lord Jesus. So God is our refuge, but he says also, verse 1, that God is also our strength. That is, he supplies to us the ability we need to keep going when we are feeling weak. When we find ourselves maybe wearied or overwhelmed by the weight of circumstances. If you're serving tirelessly in the midst of this and you're feeling overwhelmed and drained, God is your strength. You don't have to muster up your own strength. God can give you supernatural strength. By his power, he can strengthen you with might and power by his spirit in the inward man, the Bible says. And by staying connected to God, you can receive a source of strength that you will never be able to muster up in your own humanity because God will impart supernatural strength to you, his strength to you. Isaiah 40 says it this way. He gives power to the weak, And those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary. Young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. By waiting upon the Lord, knowing he is your strength and letting him impart his strength to you. 
Thirdly, he tells us as well here that God is not only our refuge and our strength, but he says as well, verse 1, that in the midst of the troublesome times, that he is a very present help in trouble. What a wonderful thing to know that God is there with us. He will not leave us and abandon us, and he is our ever-present help in the midst of trouble. When we're in trouble, we have a helper who is there with us. And what better helper to have than God Almighty himself? The all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise God says, I am with you, and I'm going to be your helper in the midst of this. I will help you through this. I will assist you and do whatever you need to get you through this process. I'll be there to help you during this, whatever kind of help we may ultimately need and however much help we may ultimately need. Hey, by way of application, let me say to you personally this morning, God wants to help you in these hard times and he can help you in any way possible because God has no limitations. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's no way that God cannot help. And this morning, do you need help right now? Let me encourage you, boldly ask God for help, and then watch how God steps in and helps in amazing ways. Believe that he can help, ask him to help, and watch how God will prove himself true and faithful, and he will assist you. He will help you in ways that you need despite what you endure or what you may go through. And because these things are true of God, that he's our refuge and our strength and a very present help in trouble, that's why the psalmist also says in verse 2, in light of that wonderful truth about God and who he is, he says, therefore, we will not fear. Even though it is chaotic, described in verse 2 and 3, he says, therefore, because of who God is, we will not fear. That is, we will not be overcome by fear, though these hard times and difficult things are going on. To be concerned, again, is normal, but we don't have to be consumed with the anxieties over our concerns because we can overcome, the Bible is saying, by faith, by trusting in who God is and what is true about God. By our trust in our experience together with him relationally, you might say we can stay afloat in the midst of the stormy seas without being shipwrecked and without drowning. Does it mean the stormy seas are going to go away? We don't know and how that's going to unfold. But what we can know is that the Lord is on board with us in the midst of the storm and we can stay afloat and he can keep us from shipwrecking and drowning because he is our ever-present help to help us through this in our time of trouble. And that's why the psalmist says it's almost with a sense of resolve. He says, because these things are true of God, he says, we will not fear. We will not. We will, not, we will choose not to fear, but we will have faith and reliance in who God is. Verse 4, he then goes on to say, And there is a river whose stream shall make glad the city of God the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. So the psalmist refers here to this life-sustaining source of water to bring fulfillment and satisfaction and even gladness amidst the struggle of difficult times. He speaks in verse 4 here of a river that supplies the city of God. That would refer to Jerusalem. 
And he says, the very streams of water that come from this river bring gladness, he says, to the people of God. Now, in the days when the Assyrians were conquering the known world, and in these specific days when the Assyrians had surrounded the city of Jerusalem, were laying siege to the people and causing great suffering, King Hezekiah, who was a very wise national leader that God had put in place for such a time as this, through his wisdom leading the nation in that perilous time, King Hezekiah built an underground tunnel to be able to bring fresh water into the city at that time to be able to provide a much-needed thing to sustain the people inside of the city. And that river of water flowing in an unseen way underground brought what was much-needed into the lives of the people to sustain them. And more than that, it brought great gladness when they partook of the streams of that water for their lives. And of course, this pictures, I think, the unseen river of God's Spirit, the unseen river of God's Spirit that flows forth into the lives of God's people to sustain us as the people of God. And more than that, to bring fulfillment and even great gladness to us in the midst of the difficulties that are going on amongst us. It's the Spirit of God that produces a river which has streams that brings gladness to the people of God. You know, Jesus used this same picture himself in John chapter 7, speaking in this way, it says, John 7, on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And it says this Jesus spoke concerning the spirit, referring to the rivers of water, who those believing in him would receive. Now, again, what a wonderful thing to know. There is a spiritual river, the river of the water of life that can flow into the souls of God's people to sustain us, to satisfy us. A river which brings waters that make glad the hearts of the people of God, that can bring the joy of the Lord into our lives, that can help us to rejoice in the midst of the hardest times that we may go through as people from time to time. Whether it's a situation we're currently facing or at times our own personal hardships, that there is a river, it's unseen, but it is a genuine river of the water of life that supplies to us from God's Spirit something wonderful in the inner man that gives us, despite how difficult times are, a sense at times of fulfillment and satisfaction, and that can bring great gladness and the joy of the Lord into our heart because no matter how bad things are, we can still have joy as we rejoice and are glad in who God is. That, hey, things are bad, but God is good. Things are hard, but God will be our helper. Things are difficult, but we understand eternity. And one day heaven lies beyond this earth's difficulties, and those things bring great gladness to the hearts of God's people as we drink of the waters of life from God's Spirit to sustain us in the midst of our hardships. Revelation 22 says, The Spirit says, Let him who thirsts come, and whoever desires, let him take of the water of life freely. Let me encourage you, drink deep 
of the waters of God's Spirit in the midst of this time. And no matter how hard it is or how hard it gets, God can continue to bring a measure of gladness in the internal person to keep you from depression and anxiety as you realize great things about God and glorious things about the future of heaven that God offers to us beyond this life. Verse 5 and 6 goes on to say, And God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved, and he uttered his voice, and the earth melted. So though mighty nations were all raging, the personal involvement of God in the midst of his people brings great stability. In verse 6, he describes there how the nations, again, being chaotic, were reeling with anger and anxiety and instability. And this would seem to be a severe threat, again, to, to God's people. But notice, regarding the current location and situation of the people of God, he says there in verse 5 that God is in the midst of her. And she shall not be moved because God shall help her just at the break of dawn. So God was dwelling in the midst of his people, even as the chaos was surrounding and happening amongst God's people. God was in their midst. He was involved. He was making the distinct difference for the people of God because he was in their midst. God was in their midst. And it says, therefore, because God was in the midst of his people, they shall not be moved. That is, there was stability for God's people in the midst of all the instability going on. One reason, because God was in their midst. God was the stabilizing factor, his presence. He says here, God shall help just at the break of dawn. That is, at the nick of time, just when it was the right hour and the most needed situation, God intervened and helped. And you know what? In those days, literally, historically, that's exactly what God did. God was in their midst. The people were not moved because God helped them just at the break of dawn. We know the story from the Old Testament. It tells us as the Assyrian army was surrounding the city of Jerusalem, 185,000 soldiers, it says, in one night God sent his angel and the angel came, and in one night, 185,000 Assyrian troops that were threatening to destroy God's people were put to death by one angel in one night. And overnight, God set his people free. God sustained them. God helped them just at the break of dawn in the most critical hour. And I think it just reminds all of us that is exactly the nature of our God. That is what God does. God is a helper, and God always intervenes at just the right hour. Still to this day, God has not changed. God doesn't show partiality. God is always in the midst of his people. God is always ready to help his people. He is the ever-present God in time of trouble, and God will help us just at the right time as it's needed in the midst of our lives. He will step in as is necessary. Perhaps it's an important reminder, honestly, for us right now. God is in our midst. We're not alone. God is in our midst, and God shall help us. However that help is needed, we don't have to be destroyed because somehow God will sustain us. I don't know how he'll do it, 
But I can tell you this, having been walking with the Lord now since, you know, uh, a great period of time, 1992. I can't do the math in my head that quick, but it was 1992, July of 92, when I accepted Jesus Christ. And I can tell you since the day I accepted the Lord and have walked with him as a Christian, over the many years of ministry, ministering to people, being with people through hardships and difficulties and different seasons of circumstances, I can tell you this, great has been God's faithfulness. And God is in the midst. God always intervenes. God steps in. He will not let his people be moved. He will help as is necessary whenever it requires. And somehow God always makes a way. God takes care of his people, and he sustains us. Verse 7 through 9, he then declares, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Think about the works of God, who has made desolations in the earth and has made wars to cease the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two, and he burns the chariot with fire. So the psalmist here is further reflecting on the power of God to just work in really mighty ways. He says here in our verses, think about, he says, the works of the Lord. Consider, he says, behold, look upon them, study them, behold the works of the Lord. Take time to ponder them. You know, as we we consider the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who parted the Red Sea, to miraculously bring his people through when they would have been destroyed and to get them through to the other side. When we consider the God who brought down the walls of Jericho, this miracle-working God who always steps in, always intervenes, and does marvelous things to help his people, the psalmist says, just consider all the works of the Lord. Consider the ways God's worked in your life since you've known him. And he says, let that encourage your heart. He says, many times God has even just uttered his voice. And things changed. God just spoke, and things changed quite powerfully. He has the power to do that. And he says God can bring any war to an end whenever he wants it to. He can destroy any enemy. The Bible says no weapon formed against us shall prosper, because God can destroy any enemy that threatens our lives. He is our protector and can take care of us. And again, he wants to remind us what makes the determining factor for God's people. What's the distinct difference for God's people in the midst of hardships? Well, verse 7, he says, look at it, because the Lord of hosts is with us, and the God of Jacob is our refuge. He then repeats it again in verse 11 for emphasis. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. Look, many dangerous things may be threatening to bring harm to us. Many difficult things may be what we have to go through. Yet, we are not alone. We're not defenseless. We're not vulnerable and striving to survive ourselves. The difference for God's people, he says, the Lord of hosts, that is the angelic armies with all of his angels and mighty power behind him. The Lord of the angelic armies, he says, is with us. He's with us. And as God's people, we can say, surely as our Father Our Father will not abandon us. Our Father is with us. We have God with us. That is the distinct difference and the huge determining factor that's different for God's people is God is with us. We have God with us because we have chosen to be in relationship with him. That's why we read in the scripture, with God, nothing will be impossible. 
Nothing will be impossible. The idea there is the emphasis upon the word with, that with God, nothing will be impossible. Without God, things are truly impossible. Without God, things are overwhelming and feel very and are very impossible. But with God, by your side as your helper, with God, nothing, the Bible says, will be impossible because he is with you and he is a God of impossibilities. Now, desiring to speak encouragement loudly to calm our souls, the Lord ultimately, it seems, moves past the secondhand mention of the psalmist declaring these truths And in verse 10, God speaks one direct word in the first person to those struggling through trouble. Notice he says, the psalmist can say secondhand, I am your refuge, I am your strength, I'm your ever-present help. But God says, there's one thing I want to declare all by myself. And God in the first person with a direct statement says in verse 10, a word of encouragement to the troubled heart going through troubling times. He says, verse 10, God's heart, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That is the very voice of God speaking his desire and direction directly to us. God tells us a few things here. First of all, he wants us to be at rest in our soul. He wants us to be at rest in our soul. He says there, verse 10, very simply, two words, be still. Be still. The Hebrew there is very unique, the entomology. It literally is a word that speaks to cease and desist from what you're doing. The idea is there, and that word be still, is take your hands off, stop doing what you're trying to do, let go, and let God. Be still. Cease from trying in your own humanity to take matters into your own hands, to strive due to panic and wanting to feel secure and doing what you need to do. And that's what we do when we get stressed out. When we get stressed out or fearful, it is a natural survival instinct in our humanity. We start doing everything we can to try and bring things back under control because we want to feel secure. And so our natural tendency when hardships are going on and we realize things are out of control is we try our best to bring it back under control to get it under control and so we do things we make efforts and we stress and we work and we try and figure out plots and plans because due to panic we're trying to bring it all back under control and god is saying just be still stop trying to get everything back under control yourself and know he says that you can be still Settle down, take a breath, pause, take your hands off, and rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him because God wants us to be at rest in our soul. God doesn't want us to have to be constantly restless, agitated, losing sleep, overwhelmed, anxious, depressed, freaking out. God says, I don't want that for you. I want you to be at rest, to be able to just be still and to be at peace within. He also wants us not only to rest, but God also wants us to rely. Notice what he says in the end of the beginning of verse 10. He says, be still, but then he says, rely upon this, know that I am God. Know that I'm God. Rely upon that, God's saying. He wants to remind us, his desire for us is to kind of have a quiet confidence in assurance 
trusting him for who he is and who he remains to be, the all-loving, all-powerful, all-wise God that even when circumstances appear out of control, God's saying, I'm still in control. I know it looks out of control, but I am honestly God even through this. I'm in complete control. I want you to rely, God is saying, upon the reality that in the midst of such times, I'm not shocked. Though we are perplexed on this earth, our almighty God is not up in heaven scratching his head, trying to figure out how to come up with solutions and ideas and and ways to, to, to figure out what's happening upon the earth. God is in control even when the earth looks out of control. He still reigns upon his throne. Nothing overrides his ultimate plans, and he has a purpose even in all things that he allows. And it's as if God is reminding our hearts, I have been throughout horrible seasons with humanity since Adam and Eve. And I have taken people through difficulties and hardships personally and through even horrific experiences that have impacted societies and nations and impacted people globally. God is saying, I have been God through all of that, and I'm still God. So he says, rest and rely that I am God, and even when it looks out of control, I am able to still work those things for my ultimate purposes and even bring about something good for my people. And and when we can't make sense of what's going on, we can know God is still working through things. Psalm 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Commit your way to the Lord and he shall bring it to pass. Do not fret. It only causes harm. Don't fret, God says. It will only cause harm. That same psalm, David writes in the latter part of Psalm 37, I have been young and now am old, yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor God's descendants begging for bread. David said, look, I once was a young man, now I'm a little bit more of an older man, and he says, one thing I know about God and his faithfulness is he says, I have seen that God never forsakes his people, and God is always faithful to take care of his people. He always finds a way to take care of his children. So God says, rest, rely upon what you know about me. And then he assures us as well in the end of verse 10 that he will even use this or any hardship for his highest purpose. Look what he says at the end of verse 10. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. In other words, God is assuring I will use these things to draw people to myself. I will use even the hardest events in people's lives, the most large difficulties that impact entire nations. God says, I can use hardships to get the attention of people in greater ways, so ultimately I'm exalted in the earth. So ultimately people will look to me to see me for who I am. That in the midst of these things, God says, I will be exalted in the sense I will cause people to see how great of a God I really am. And look, folks, that's exactly, I assure you, one thing that can happen through this is believers, if they choose to, through this process, will see the greatness of God in ways they never have before. And even unbelievers all throughout this world, hardship has a way of humbling people. 
And when people be humbled and they find themselves fearful and anxious, sometimes it's in the midst of that that they finally look to God. And they finally put their attention upon God. or They finally cry out to God. And God will use this to cause people to ultimately look to him in greater ways. You know, I was thinking this week and reminded of Job who went through great hardship. And Job is a very wise servant of God and his wisdom in the midst of great loss and suffering said these words. Job said, shall we accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? There's great wisdom in that. Shall we accept good from God and yet not accept adversity? God knows how to help. He will help at the right time. He'll always help when we call upon him. Psalm 50 tells us, the Lord says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. God invites us, call upon me in your trouble. I'll intervene. I will help. And he says, and you'll end up glorifying me when you see how much I've helped in that situation. Folks, if human hardship is ultimately through human hardship what causes more people to become less attached to earthly things, to material things, to trivial temporary things that do not really matter, and then cause us as a result to become more focused upon God and more reliant upon what really matters in life and people become more prepared for heaven, then maybe, maybe we actually gain through hardship and through difficulty. We gain what really matters most. Look, if you are looking for peace and help in anything other than God, you're going to be greatly disappointed. But if you look to the Lord, who is our refuge and our strength, you will find that he's an ever-present help in time of trouble. And you can be still and know that he's God and know that he'll be exalted through this process. Would you pray?